Defining moments are those incidents or events that take place during the normal course of our lives where we are confronted by a truth that dramatically changes the way we act and think. Defining moments can happen in different areas of our lives, our finances, our relationships, our morality, our health, our marriage, our spirituality, and perhaps even our careers. Defining moments affect our direction in life, and in some cases, even our destiny. In case you're wondering, I'm Polynesian. Got the outfit to prove it. <laughs> Samoan to be specific. I come from a large family, both numerically and size-wise. There's 12 kids in all, uh, seven of us by blood, five adopted. I call my sisters the Buffalo Brigade. They can start for the LA Rams. I mean the St. Louis Rams. I'll tell that to their face too. I was, I was raised in a very strong Christian home. My parents were, were missionaries uh, to Papua New Guinea for about 14 years. Seven of those years I was raised in the, in the mission fields in the jungles of Papua from the time I was a few months old till about seven. Our family eventually immigrated in the late 60s to the United States and we settled in Long Beach, California on the west side they call Strong Beach. And there my father took on a, a role as pastor of a small Samoan congregational church on the west side. Now my dad and I's relationship was kind of interesting. My dad was a strict disciplinarian and, he, and we had kind of a command and control kind of a thing going on. He was in command and in control. Uh, and, and growing up, our conversations were more about my chores, my duties at home, and my performance in school, and, and also my performance as a son of a pastor. There's a lot of pressure there. We didn't play catch. He didn't teach me how to ride my first bike. He didn't teach me how to fish. We didn't do any of that. But what he did do a few times is he would cut my hair. When I was in elementary and middle, and middle school, he would give me this buzz haircut. And it wasn't like a nice buzz because he used the old scissor. And it was just like all jacked up all over the place. And he didn't realize the pressure he was putting on me. I was in fights all the time in, in elementary and middle school because somebody's always touching my hair, making fun of me. And, uh, and so, you know, Pops didn't realize that. And, uh, and, and then I would get in trouble for fighting in school. So first he, he's the one that caused the fight, and then I have to fight, and then I get beat up for fighting. It just didn't work out. He didn't like my choice of friends because they looked like thugs and acted like thugs. And, okay, they were thugs. And our sex talks were like, you touch, you die. That real short and to the point. <laughs> in high school, uh, I lettered in three sports, football, uh, track. No, I didn't run. And uh, wrestling. And he didn't come to any of those. He thought, he thought at, at, at best, it was a distraction. Sports was a distraction. And at worst, it was a waste of time. That was just kind of his attitude toward. However, once Dad learned that colleges and university were willing to uh, around the country willing to exchange a free education for my athletic abilities, he kind of thought maybe it wasn't such a bad, uh, such a waste of time. And, uh, you know, although our, our, our relationship started when I was younger wasn't very good, uh, things began to change towards the latter part of my, my college years. And, and during my senior year at Oregon State University, I became a, a follower of Jesus Christ. And from that moment, it seemed like from that moment until the time he passed away, um, he, uh, in 2000, our relationship just grew stronger, deeper, and I love my dad. And he's, he's, he's not only was one of my heroes, he is one of my heroes. And during the course of our lives together, he had a lot of, we had a, a lot of teachable moments that, that dad had, he and I had. Uh, and, and three of those bubbled up as what I, I would call defining moments. Uh, this morning, I hope to, 
I hope that you will allow me to share the events surrounding those defining moments with the goal of using each of those events as a springboard into God's word for us today. Transferable truths that can bless our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for uh, just this morning and the opportunity that we have to worship you, the opportunity that we have to celebrate the freedoms that you've given us, uh, certainly as a nation, but more importantly as individuals who, who, God, that you've set free by the power of your love. And we pray that you'd help us this morning as we dig into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So the working definition for defining moments is, is that these are incidents or events that take place during the course of our normal course of our lives where we are confronted by a truth that dramatically changes the way we think and act. I was recruited to, the Oregon, to, to Oregon State as a defensive player. Um, sorry, ladies and guys who aren't into sports, but you're stuck with me for the next few hours. I'm going to use that as a metaphor. But during a summer camp of my freshman year, before going into the, my first year in college, they had a summer camp, and I, and I broke into what's called the defensive line rotation. Uh, and so I was a defensive player when I came to Oregon State, and, and, and I was really excited about that opportunity because now I get to play, and I get to hear my name over the loudspeaker, blah, blah, blah. You know, I was your typical 18, 19-year-old, full of myself, full of pride, and kind of egocentric. And so I, I couldn't wait to get on the field, and, and it was really good that I was into that rotation. About two weeks in the camp, the head coach pulled me to the side, and he goes, Raj, I want you to play on the offensive side. I want you to play center for us. Now, if you don't know what a center is, he's the guy that has the ball, and he puts it on the ground, and he snaps it, or he lifts it up, and he hands it to the other guy behind him who gets all the money and all the adulation. I'm not bitter. <laughs> and so when he told me that I was going to play offense, I, I, I said, Coach, I don't want to play. I came here to play defense. He said, well, we, we think you could help us at center. I said, well, I don't want to help you at center. I want to help you at defensive line. He said, well, son, you don't have an option. I hate it when that happens. And so I just kind of, so for two weeks, I was just, or for a few weeks, I had to, half of my time was with the defensive line. The other half of my time was the offensive line. And so we would run these drills, and, and there'd be a coach there barking at me. I got two different coaches screaming down my neck, and I'm just frustrated because I'm, I'm feeling like they lied to me. You know, they kind of set me up, and now they're taking away my dreams and all this other stuff. I just said, I was all worked up. And, and so what would happen is you'd go through these drills, and, and, and you'd, have to snap, you'd have to snap the ball up, and then you block the guy in front of you. Well, I didn't want to get punked, and so I blocked, but that ball was not getting anywhere near the quarterback. So I'd get the ball, I'd just throw it between my legs and just do my drill. And the coach would go, son, if you would just get that ball up, we've got a chance. I'm like, you are outside. I didn't say that, but I thought that. I said, you, are, you will never see that ball get in that quarterback's hand. <laughs> Terrible. Anyway, so, so that went on for a while, and, and, and I was so frustrated that I finally came to, the, it was, I was my wit's end, and I called up my father. Now remember, this is a guy that couldn't tell you the difference between a, between a golf ball and a basketball and didn't care. So I call up dad and I announced to him, I said, dad, I'm coming home. I quit. And my father was like, okay, okay, now what is going on, son? And what I try to do is I try to paint as, as bad a picture as I could of the, I try to put them as villains in me as this this, this sad kid that's been taken advantage of. I try to set that up with my, I was telling, the coach wants me to play out offense, I want to play defense, blah, blah, blah. So I'm telling him all this stuff. And then as I'm talking, he said, okay, wait, wait, let me just come get some clarity on what you're saying, son. He says, the teacher wants you to do something. And, and see, 
he doesn't, the word coach is not even in his vocabulary. He doesn't know what a coach is. He just knows it's a teacher. So he says, so the teacher wants you to do something. Yes, sir. You don't want to do it. No, sir. Okay, let me just understand this. The teacher wants you to do something. Yes, sir. You don't want to do it. No, sir. Instead, you want to give up your free education, come home, get your hind parts beaten beyond recognition by me, and then pump gas for the rest of your life. Is that what you want to do, son? Uh, no. Great choice. Click. I'm like, what, what just happened? What? My, my dad's words cut through the self-induced hyperventilating that I'd worked myself into. He knew that what was at stake was more than just my football, some dumb position that I wanted to play. He knew that it was more than my education. He knew that it was much more than a scholarship. What he knew and that I didn't know at the time was this was about me choosing a path. Essentially, here's the question my dad was asking and for us and our first point is, do you know where you're going, son? Do you know where you're going? Jesus asked a similar question, but with much more on the line. Matthew 16 says in the 26th verse, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? I like the New Living Translation also. It says that, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? The message says it like this. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could, it, could you ever trade your soul for? Do you know where you're going? That is a huge question. Especially when we're talking about our soul, our eternity, and our destiny in terms of spirituality in heaven. Huge question. Here's what we're up against. Isaiah describes our condition before God steps in. Isaiah 59 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened at all that it cannot save, nor is his ear dull with deafness that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, your perverting of justice, your twisting of the truth have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Ephesians 2.1 describes us like this. Once you were dead, everybody say dead. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Basically what the scripture is telling us is this. That our sins have separated us from God. Our sins have caused a chasm between us and the living God. And to layer on top of that is this other situation that 2 Corinthians talks about. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So first of all, we're separate from God because of our sin, our, our, our selfishness, our sin, our willful rebellion against God. Layer onto that the deception that comes from the enemy of our soul who wants to send us to hell anyway. The enemy of our soul is doing all he can to deceive us from seeing and experiencing the power and love of God. That's what 2 Corinthians tells us. But Titus gives us good news. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 to 7. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of envy, evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, 
giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Do you know where you're going, son? Do you know for certain that you have been forgiven of your sins and that heaven is where you're where you'll spend eternity. Titus talks about God giving us the confidence that we will inherit eternal life. If you would have asked me, high school, college, before that, whether I was a Christian or not, my immediate response would have been, absolutely. I don't have a problem with God. Me and God, we're, we're just like this, man. We're straight. But if you would have put a video camera, a hidden video camera, right behind my head and followed me around for a few days, you would think, this boy is jacked up. He is messed up, like my brother says, toe up from the flow up. <laughs> I mean, in, in my brain, I would, I would say, absolutely, I'm a Christian. But in my actions, a train wreck, just a piece of work. In fact, for me, I've been on staff here close to 10 years. I think this is our 10th, right? They lowered the bar about 10 years ago and let me in. Um, and and I, one of the things for me that was difficult as I, in terms of preaching before you, in the early years, I used to pray. I would pray this prayer. Lord, don't let anybody from Oregon State be in the audience. Because I'm ashamed to say that I hurt a lot of people because of my selfishness and self-centered activity. Just did. But I thank God that he gave me the ability, or not necessarily the ability, but I thank God that he was gracious towards me. I remember just, I found myself in places and doing things that I would have never imagined myself involved in as a high schooler going to college. My senior year, I was, in, I was invited to go to this Christian meeting and I gathered three or four other athletes with me, other ball players, and uh, we kind of went in there and, and I'm you know, trying to be safe in numbers. And there's about 20 or 30 kids in there. I think you were in the room at the time, weren't you? You weren't? Y'all playing hooky from church? Um, and so he, he starts talking, this guy, this, this guy starts, this preacher guy starts, and I've been church all my life, I can tell you, the, I can quote scripture to you, tell you the books of the Bible, back, back and forth. He starts talking, and, and I remember sitting there thinking, man, either this guy is lying, or I'm going to go to hell. I mean, that's what I, he, the more he talked, the more I, I, I was thinking, man, shut up. I'm thinking, the more he talked, the more I thought, something is just not right here, something's not and what, 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 what slowly happened is God kind of peeled the curtain back. That ever happened to you? And exposed me to me. And showed me, you are not who you think you are. You are jacked up. You are not a follower of Jesus. You're a hater of God. Why? Because of your actions. But more importantly, because of your heart. It's all about you. And that night, the guy gives an invitation. I'd never heard an altar call before, an invitation like this before, but he starts talking. Do you want to give your life to Christ? I don't remember everything he said. All I know is I had to get my hand up because my heart was about to come out of my chest. And so I threw the hand up. I don't remember what I prayed. All I know, I was dead wrong and I didn't like it. I wanted to be right with God. And that night, November 18, 1981, for me, that night was a, was a changing, an inflection point in my life. That was, a, that was a defining moment for me that changed the course and the path of my life. And God, from that moment to this, is still working things out. Still is. But our sins separated him. The enemy of our soul is trying to deceive us. And the question for us this morning, there, in a room this big, there's a, lot, there, there's, there's a possibility of a few folks that are trying to find their way to God. 
perhaps even back to God. At one time you served God, but somebody kind of hit you sideways. Maybe I said something that offended you and now you blame, you know, God for it and you don't want to follow him. I'm sorry. Or maybe somebody did something that in the name of Christianity, they just hurt you. And now you just kind of found yourself in places you never imagined. The enemy of our soul is trying to take us out. But God, rich in mercy, more than able to make things right. And that night, I said, God, I don't have a clue what's going on, but I know this, that I'm not right and I want to make it right. Where are you going? Do you know? Defining moment number two took place during a post-game locker room celebration in Pullman, Washington. Dave Purcell will appreciate this. I was still a freshman, uh, and, but things have kind of lightened up. I finally gotten over the fact that I wasn't playing on defense, uh, that I wasn't a defensive player because I was actually starting on offense. And, uh, and, and, and there, was a, there was kind of a, a side benefit of being a starter. What they do is, uh, what I found out is, when you play a televised game, they bring a camera crew and they take, your, they take a mugshot of you, right? So the video crew comes and they take this picture of you. You've seen it before, a guy does a good play on TV, they show his mugshot. Guy does a bad play on TV, they, do, they show his mugshot. So you get this one-on-one -on -one thing, and so I was excited. I mean, they come and they do the video thing, and I, I'm kind of winking and trying to look all cool on TV. Winking like that. And, and then so after the games, whatever game was televised, I'd call back home and say, hey, did you guys see me wink at you? I was throwing some love out there. You feel that for me? Just so full of myself. I know it was pathetic. I'm sorry. That's just where I was. And so, I mean, that was kind of a side benefit. I really liked that. Well, we ended up playing Washington State University in Pullman on ABC TV. It was a featured game that weekend. And, man, we were excited. Uh, and it was a great game. They had this awesome quarterback, Jack Thompson, the Thorn Samoan. Uh, and we just, it was one of those battles, just back and forth, back and forth. ABC said later it was one of the better games of the season. Thriller, and we won it in the last seconds. So now we're celebrating in the locker room. Everything is good. Everybody's happy, high-fiving and all that stuff. And I find this, I find a telephone, payphone. Yeah, we had some of those back then. Found a payphone, and I called home. And so I call home, and mom picks up the phone. I said, mom, did you see the game? She said, yeah, dad wants to talk to you. And it was, it was in that tone. Anybody say something to you with that tone that you kind of go, something's not quite right there. <laughs> right? And something, so. In the NFL, there's a gentleman they refer to as the Turk. And the words you never want to hear Turks say to you is, coach wants to see you, bring your playbook. Translation, you are no longer employed. You're cut. And that's the kind of vibe I got, you know, from, it's like, she said, dad wants to talk to you. I thought, great, this is going to be a good one. So I said, hey, Dad, how you doing? How's it going? I'm excited. We just won this game. I thought I played pretty well, you know. Did you see me wake at you? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> what are you doing, son? I'm like, winning games, being good on TV? I don't know. I just thought that. And, and I said, what, what, Dad? He goes, son. Now, remember I told you that my dad liked cutting my hair? Well, he hadn't gotten to my head in a few years. So I'm like, here. I got the fro thing going on. I got the Toy Polo Malu lookalike contest happening. And so, the, and I remember that day they were, they, were video, they were videoing us for the, for the ABC game and the wind was blowing back and I'm trying to, you know, so the hair is going everywhere. And my dad said, son, what are you doing? I said, dad, what do you mean? He said, you look like an animal. I said, dad, we, we just want to, I don't care. Don't you ever embarrass the family again. Get a haircut, animal. So I'm like, dad, son, do you know who you are? Do you know who you're representing? 
get a haircut, animal. Click. <laughs> so as you can imagine, the euphoria that we experienced a few moments earlier has kind of dissipated, and I'm, not, I'm just I'm ticked off now. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. And, but but I, want to, I want to use that and transfer that to us. Here's the question. Do you know who you are and who you're representing? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Everybody say new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. There's a beautiful work that takes place when we exchange our life of sin and guilt for the forgiveness and freedom God gives us. However, that's just the beginning. That's only the starting spot. The new life and the new creation Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians has to do with forgiveness and newness of beginnings. But it's from that point on that we're required to walk out our salvation with a clear understanding of where we're headed. Clarity. God gives that to us by his word and by his spirit. Clear vision, clear, clear thinking. From the moment I became a follower of Jesus until this day, God has been working in and on me. He has and continues to work on my heart, my habits, my attitude, my mindset, how I view life, how I view other people, how I listen or don't listen, how I communicate or don't communicate, my wisdom, my discernment. Every area of my life has been prodded and poked by the Holy Spirit. Not because God doesn't have anything else to do, but because he loves me. Because we have a relationship. Because he has a plan and a purpose for my life. Because he wants, to me, he wants me to be fulfilled and enjoy the life he's given me. Do you know who you are and who you're representing? Here's what Titus tells us. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live life live a self-controlled life, upright and godly li lives in this present age. Not only is God working on me, not only God is God working on you, he also has an assignment for us. He has an assignment for, for us. Listen to what it said in 2 Corinthians. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and God has given us the task of reconciling people. That's the task he's given you and me. Whether you're, a, whether you're a fisherman, whether you're an electrician, a, a, an engineer, it doesn't matter. You have the ministry of reconciliation. And it says here, he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. If you want a title for it, he calls us ambassadors. You and I, we're ambassadors, representative of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're speaking on his behalf. That's what the Bible says. So we are Christ's ambassador. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. The ministry of connecting or reconnecting folks to God. And the cool thing is, as God works his stuff in us and works stuff out of us, we're able to speak from a first person kind of deal. God is working in us. He's working stuff out through us. And we're able to share the life that God is bringing into us. The ministry of reconciliation, of reconnecting people 
to their future, to their hope, to the, to the life that God has for them. Romans 8 says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children, God, children of God. So as followers of Jesus, we have a new for forwarding address. It's called heaven. New identity, Christian or Christ follower. A new assignment, we're ambassadors, ministry of reconciliation. And a new family, the church. The church is not the four walls. We've talked about this before, and that's a different sermon for a different day. But it's not about these walls or these wonderful cameras and all this stuff. The church is living bodies, living life together, doing it in such a way that impacts commu communities around them. First of all, their lives are right. Then they help others get it right. And next thing you know, they become a catalyst for change, real change within the communities that they find themselves and in the world that God has put us in. Do you know who you are? Here's what Jesus said about the church. I will build my church, chapter 16 of, of the Gospel of Matthew. I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Interestingly, Jesus said when he comes back, he's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for the church. You and I, without spot or wrinkle. First Corinthians tells us that all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. The church was an integral part of the life of a believer in the New Testament. And it's the same today. It continues to today. The biblical pattern for our lives includes our being active participants in his family, in the church. Now that may be a lot to absorb this morning, or the process. But if you are a follower of Jesus, that's who we are and that's what we do. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you're representing? And finally, the third event that would become a defining moment for me took place in Los Angeles, California, in the Coliseum. Again, as I, as I uh, described my dad to you, he had, he had never come to any of my games. This was the first athletic event that my dad would come to. And I was excited. I was really looking forward. The family was there. You know, the Buffalo Brigade was up in the stands. Everybody was good and, and just excited. And, and so we're playing against USC, the number... I think they were in the top 10 in the nation that year. It might have been even the number one team. So they were pretty good. We were, the top 10. we were in the top 10 also, but in the bottom. The worst teams in America, we were the top 10. Just the way it was. And as it turns out, they beat the cheese out of us. It was like 57 to 7. I think we scored the first touchdown. That's the last time we saw the end zone. And uh, so it was a pretty good drubbing. And, and I remember we were in the locker room, and I was kind of sad because of the game and how it went. But, but I was also kind of happy because Pops and, and my siblings and family were there. And so through the locker room doors comes my father. And I just, let me describe Dad to you. He's about 5'9", five, 5'10", five, about 300 pounds, big arms, big hands. And he's got this kind of a low shirt, kind of like this. And he also has this... Lava lava on, we call it. It's kind of a sarong. You know, when you go to the beach, you put the towel on. Well, that's kind of normal, for, normal guard for us Samoans. So he's got his little sheet on and slippers, and he's kind of strolling through the locker room with his fashion statement. <laughs> so he kind of walks in. Now, remember, he has never met any of my coaches before. Never, ever met any. Didn't care about them. In fact, when they used to recruit, they would come to the, to the house, and we had a porch out there on the west side, and, and uh, they would knock on the screen door, and dad would look up, and he'd say, what? And he'd say, uh, you know, what, blah, 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 university. He'd go, boy, talk. So I'd go out on the porch, we'd have our conversation, they'd go on their way. Dad was, very, he was a man of very few words. In fact, the day that I signed the, the letter of intent, I remember there were like five or six colleges in the, in the, 
in the living room and I called my dad up. It was like 8.30 in the morning. I said, Dad, what am I going to do? I got all these schools here. Who do I pick? He goes, how many? I said, I told him the number. He said, are they all going to give you free education? Yes, sir. Are they good schools? Yes, sir. Okay, I'll be home at 12.30. Make sure they're gone. Click. <laughs> really felt helpful there. Really felt helpful. So anyway, so he walks in, and I see him, and I say, hey, Dad, and I take him over to introduce him to my head coach who has never met him before. So I come, and, and you know, the, they kind of, hi, Mr. Lavasa. So he does the coach talking. Hey, so good to meet you. Sorry it was a bad game, blah, 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 blah. And, and while he's talking, while he's talking, my dad says these words. You have a terrible team. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, you have terrible timing. Because... I just lost my position forever. This is over. I'm done. And, and the coach does the coach thing. He kind of back. Well, you know, yeah, we're a young team, and Roger's going to blah, blah, you know, just. And then while he's talking, my dad, the, the next thing he says is, who's the part of Florida Paul? Let me translate that for you now before you get too anxious. Who's the part of Florida Paul? means, who is the boy that throws the ball? <laughs> now, remember, he's not Mel Kuyper. He's not some expert guy in football, but he's asking the coach, who's the part of Florida Paul? And I'm thinking, and I, I remember I'm just thinking, my, my eyes are just tearing up right now. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what's he say? I said, Dad, what are you talking about? He goes, the point of Florida Paul. I said, do you mean the quarterback? He goes, terrible. <laughs> I just said, oh my gosh, I'm done. I, I will never see the football field again. I'm through, my career is over at Oregon State. And then to make it worse, the coach reaches over to shake his hand. My dad is done. Conversation over. He's gone. He's strolling with his lava lava. You know, he's got, he's got places to go. So he's walking through the locker room, and I'm behind him. I'm like, man, I hate my life. I hate my life. I hate my life. So I'm walking behind him. He says, hey, boy, get up here. So I get up next to him. Yeah, Dad. He goes, don't you ever do that again. I'm not the one that said we have a terrible team. I'm not the one that sweated the quarterback. You're the one. That's what I'm thinking. I never said it, but I'm just, what do you mean? He goes, you? He goes, why did you let that boy do that to you? Now, when he said that, my brain is running through the real, kind of replaying all the plays in the game, right? The guy that I played against was a gentleman named Rich Dimmler. Rich Dimmler looked like Man Mountain Mike's twin brother plus. I think his name was Goliath. <laughs> Huge guy, beard, all-American, nose guard. I thought I did okay against him as a freshman. I think I'm, I held my own against that big cat, big ugly fella. But I do remember this one play that Rich pushed me into the quarterback's lap, into the running back's lap, and all of us onto the ground. He's kind of a strong guy. And so that apparently is the play that my dad was talking about, right? I said, Dad, that, that Rich Dimmler is an All-American. He's a mean guy. He's, and I'm, I'm going through all this stuff, and I, he goes, hey, 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 listen. If you're going to be on the field, play the, play the game. All of a sudden, he's become this sage of athletics, right? Like, he's his coach. He's like, he's channeling, you know. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? He goes, if you're going to be on the field, play the game. He goes, if you're not going to play the game, then get off the field. He said, if you're not going to play the game, son, do something else. Because you're, you're going to waste people. Don't waste my time. Don't waste the coach's time. Don't waste the fans' time. And don't waste your time. So either play the game or do something else. That hurt my feelings. I'm like, man, who do you think you are? Now, initially, that was just kind of hard to swallow. I mean, I'm like, and that may sound brutal to, brutal to you as well, because it did to me, 
Initially, I got defensive. But as I thought about it, this is what, this, this is what he wanted me to, to get my head around and my heart around. You got to give your best effort, son. You got to give your best effort. Which is our third and final point for today. Are you giving your very best effort? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Everybody say good works. Which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. 1 Timothy 6 says, But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue. Everybody say pursue. Now, when I hear the word pursue, that has in it some element of activity and energy, right? Pursue, it's an action word. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Listen up. It says, fight the good fight. Everybody say, fight the good fight. fight. It says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called, and you, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4 puts it like this. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I don't know about you, but to me, a good fight is a fight that you win. And ultimately, for the believer, we win. We win. That's what the scripture tells us. But we must contend. If you ever, I don't know if you've ever been in a fight, but if you've ever been in a fight, it's always a good idea to go in it willing to do whatever it takes to win because anything less can become detrimental to your health. If you're going to get into a fight, then you're going in before the first blows are thrown. You're going in to win because if you're not going in to win, do something else please now because you're about to get worked. <coughs> Sorry about that. But when I hear the word fight, it, it, it demands an all, it's an all-in kind of attitude thing. It is all-in when you hear the word fight. All-in in terms of your attitude, all-in in terms of your mentality. Physically, emotionally, mentally, you got to be all-in. And that's even before you take the first swing. Mike Tyson is not known for making many profound statements, but he made a statement that I absolutely love. He said, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Love that. And that is very true about the Christian walk and about life. You are going to get absolutely clobbered a few times in this contending of the faith. You will get punched in the mouth in a lot of areas. But thanks be to God, he's given us the, the ability by the power of his spirit and by the direction of his word to be able to press through if, we be will, if we're willing to press through. We still have the free will. We can exercise it. I suggest you exercise it for the right reasons, that you fight the good fight of faith. First Corinthians puts it like this. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs but only one person gets the prize? Listen to this. So run to win. Hate games that don't keep score. Sorry. Ever, ever been in a, in a contest that doesn't keep, keep score? If you're one of those parents that are into that, God bless you, that's great. But for me it's frustrating. I need to know what the score is. I need to know whether I'm winning or not. And God gives us a good litmus test. He gives us the ability to even gauge that. Look at his word. Look at your life. Look at the life of Jesus. Don't you realize that everyone who runs in a race, only one gets the prize. Run to win. Winning is not a bad thing. Run to win. All athletes discipline are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize 
that'll fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. With intentionality, I run. Every step, I run on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. I love the imagery and the message in this, run to win. What if we asked ourselves that question in every area of our life? Am I giving my very best effort in my relationships? Am I giving my very best effort at work, in my daily walk with God, in my home, in building up my spouse, in encouraging and strengthening my children, in reaching the lost, in using my gifts and talents that God has blessed me with, in my tithe, as an ambassador for Christ? Am I giving my very best effort? Only you can answer that. Philippians chapter 3, and Pastor Kenny kind of quoted a portion of this final scripture for us. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Love that image. Love that truth. I press on. That sounds like a guy who's at a defining moment. An encounter that dramatically changed his thoughts and his actions and his life. Do you know where you're going? Do you know who you are and who you're representing? Are you giving your very best effort?